McFadden, and I'm listening to the Canned Air Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Candare, your tribute to comics and pop culture. I am Jeremy Colley. I'm Jack Doherty. And joining us today are two gentlemen from a band that uh, came to uh, my attention when we were promoting for the episode where we had uh, Gates McFadden on, Dr. Beverly Crusher mm-hmm. from uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. And uh, these gentlemen reached out to me because I tagged them in that post, and I'm so glad they did because uh, they have a band called the Beverly Crushers. It's a Star Trek-themed band that's music is fucking fantastic. Amazing, yeah. I can't get enough of it. <laughs> uh, we welcome today from the band Rob Cassis and Tom Monahan. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being here. Yes, thank you so much for having us. Very excited about this episode because, uh, you know, Jack, I know you've heard me say uh, years ago, and we've been doing this seven years, mm-hmm. that before Candair, you know, became like a concept, I originally wanted to do like a music Right. Podcast, and this is exactly why I wanted to do sit down with you know members of a band, talk about the band, and talk about the music. So it's very fulfilling here, almost 400 <laughs> episodes in to get to uh, you know stretch my wings in that way. So very excited to do that. But uh, before we do any of that, don't forget to find us on Twitter at Canned Air Pod and on Instagram at Canned underscore Air. And if you like what we're doing, head to Patreon.com forward slash Canned Air Pod or just find us on the website. Candarepodcast.com. A lot of uh, URLs I'm throwing around there. And uh, you can find a way to back us. If you don't want to become a monthly uh, subs- you know, subscriber, you can buy merch. That supports us, too. And put, put the shirt on. You can become our walking billboard <laughs> at, at your expense. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a hell of a commercial, if you ask me. But um, what else we got, Jag? Uh, Tuesday nights, most Tuesdays around 9 p.m. Eastern. Stop over at our Facebook page and play some Jackbox games. Meet another podcast and uh, play along with us. Good time, you might win a prize. You might win a prize. You might indeed. win that shirt. Yeah, that makes you a walking billboard. Yeah. You're fucking welcome. You're welcome. Paid advertising. <laughs> All right. Well, with that behind us, let's just turn our attention over here to Rob and Tom. So very excited to talk to you guys again. Ever since uh, that episode I referenced earlier, you know, you guys have been on the radar and listening to you. We had you guys playing at a bonfire at my friend's house uh, about a month or two ago because it was just it's so fun everyone there was into you know Trek and it, you know what's great about the band is even if you're not into Star Trek you can still fully enjoy it I'd say mm-hmm. probably between the four of us here I'm, I probably have the least Star Trek knowledge <laughs> I like Star Trek but I wouldn't consider myself a Trekkie and I still love every song though I don't get the reference all the time if you know what I mean so <laughs> Bravo to you, gentlemen. Love your music. Uh, But before we get too much into that, I'd like to talk about, you know, to you guys uh, just about, uh, you know, yourselves, who you are, how you guys met, how you came together. Uh, Robert, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, sure. So Tom and I met back in high school, actually. We both grew up in Wilmington, Delaware. And so we've been friends for a very long time. When I met Tom, he was already playing bass in a band. And I had just started playing guitar basically at that time. And, you know, we became fast friends. Actually, one of the things we bonded over real early was Simpsons trivia. We were both obsessed with the Simpsons back then. Uh, And, uh, you know, so we hit it off right away. And then basically over the last 20 years-ish, we've been playing music together. We've been writing songs. 
We've been in a few different bands. We eventually left Wilmington and moved out to San Francisco uh, a couple years apart from each other and, you know, kind of reformed, reconnected and, and started playing music out here. So the genesis of our relationship was really always kind of music. You know, we've always been huge music fans, music appreciators, and we met as uh, musicians as well. Sure. Tom, do you have anything to add to that before I uh, go farther? Yeah, I would say that um, we became friends basically because Rob approached me and sort of was like, hey, like you think you know your shit about The Simpsons. Well, what about this? Well, what about this? <laughs> and we started kind of going back and forth with like, you know, the, the minutia of all those sort of golden era Simpsons episodes. Um, and he sort of recruited me to be on the academic bowl team because, uh, you know, we were super cool in high school, clearly being on the academic bowl team. But uh, <laughs> we ended up becoming really good friends. And, uh, you know, at the time, I'd been playing music for a little bit. Uh, I think like most people, I started playing music when I was around 14 because I was like, this will be a way that I could stand out and get girls. And then about two years later, I was like, this isn't working, but it's still pretty fun. Right. And so I kind of kept it up for a while. Um, you know, I had been playing with a couple of friends for uh, I was in a band with like a bunch of my childhood friends from the time I was 14 until I was about like 22 when we would play, you know, five hours a night, five days a week. You know, we, wow. that's all that we did basically. Um, and, uh, then when we moved out to San Francisco, I think that Rob kind of glazed over one of the things that, that was like that thing that sort of solidified, uh, our sort of musical collaboration. We started a band with some friends from the East coast that had all moved out to, uh, to San Francisco. So we're in a band called the chop, um, and it was a bunch of guys from Delaware and I actually played drums in that band, even though I wasn't a drummer and we had a, a friend of ours who played bass in the band, even though he wasn't a bass player and a friend who played keys, even though he really wasn't a keys player. Um, but just through sort of, you know, having a ton of fun and that kind of like grit and sort of determination, we ended up, you know, being able to play a bunch of shows and like play at some of the nicer venues in San Francisco and play all up and down the coast and out to, you know, like reno and salt lake city and places like that um and it was a ton of fun but it was really just all about you know us doing kind of what we wanted to do and not necessarily worrying about uh you know we're not trying to make the next you know hit single or something like that it was really like let's just focus on the things that make us happy we always joke that we were millionaires in fun and like negative ten thousand ten thousand errors in uh in earnings <laughs> for that band um but uh i think that that sort of mentality that we had there kind of solidified what eventually led to the Beverly Crushers, which is like make music for yourself that's going to make you happy. And that's probably what's going to get people to pay attention to you and probably get people to like you. Absolutely. I mean, in all the years we've been doing this show, we've heard time and time and time again that the best projects come from, you know, when you're writing it uh, from a place of fun for yourself and not trying to fill expectations. That's when you get your best product, right? So, and that shows through on your guys' albums too. So, uh, Bravo to you guys on that. So, so you, so you mentioned your Simpsons uh, fandom that brought you together, and I applaud you. I've got so I've got probably a good section of my basement is nothing but Simpsons toys. I'm b before he got here, I had to change out of my Simpsons pajama pants, and I'm actually wearing a Bartman T-shirt. Like I'm just <laughs> nice. a huge fan. Nice. So you don't need a light in the basement because there's so much yellow already. It's right. It just it just lights itself <laughs> up. But um, so where does Star Trek then uh, come into your guys's fandom? Well, you know, we grew up in the we're '90s kids, so mm -hmm. those same that same golden era of The Simpsons. I was watching Star Trek: The Next Generation originally with my parents and uh, enjoying it. And I always so we've always had a fondness for the show, and it's something that like we've kind of always just referenced back through our adult lives and joked about little, the minutia again of what's right. going on on the enterprise and what it's actually like 
to live on the Enterprise, and what do they really use those holodecks for, and you know, <laughs> stuff like that. And so it was just a sort of running inside jokes um, about Trek. But of course, we, we really do love the show. I I haven't seen every Star Trek episode ever made, I have to say. But Next Gen was kind of our series, and uh, I think it the worldview on on display there is just really uh, speaks to us, you know. Yeah. I can understand that. I I just uh, like what was it that was like okay, like it's moved us to this point like we need to theme a band around this. Like how like I'm just curious how that intertwined, you know. Well, you know, honestly, um we had been in bands that were playing shows for a while and then, you know, you get older and life kind of gets in the way and you're not like closing down a bar on a Tuesday to, you know, for making 60 bucks or something like that. <laughs> so, um but I kind of look at it, uh you know, some guys are really into golf and they'll get together with their friends and go to, you know, Scottsdale and go play golf or something like that for like a, a fun weekend. And we had worked really hard on getting this competency up and playing music and also recording music. And so that's kind of our sort of like get together time where we'll plan it out for a long time. There's a place that we go up in grass Valley, um, just kind of, you know, North of Sacramento in the foothills of the Sierras. It's beautiful out there. We know a guy who's got a studio and a couple acres of land and, um, you know, you stay at the house and just kind of get immersed in that sort of world of playing music for, you know, four or five days. And that's got kind of like a vacation for us. And so we were really looking for projects that we could uh, find an excuse to be able to say, like, you know, to our wives, like, hey, I need like four or five days. Let's go hang out with friends up in the mountains. <laughs> and, you know, we're not going skiing or something like that, but we're, you know, going up and recording an album. And uh, it's, you know, it's one of the great joys of my life is like putting together music but also we're like very referentially based people we our most of our humor is reference-based humor and so uh we'd be kind of making jokes about it and then you know rob wrote a song which actually didn't end up making it onto this album but we put on ep and it was on that um called make it so from the standpoint oh, yeah. of I'm wesley well Crusher. Of that one. Uh, yeah and um then i sort of was like okay i'm going to take up the challenge and try to write a song because in our previous bands, Rob had done most of the songwriting. I'm sort of relatively new to actually writing songs. And so I ended up writing that song, School and Ten Forward, as like, uh, hey, I think that this captures what we always really liked about being in a band, which is that, like, you know, we picture ourselves, like, we had this big, rickety 16-passenger van, and we'd rip into some town and kind of feel like pirates going out and, you know, drinking and singing songs and bars and stuff like that. And it's like, I bet you that the guys in the enterprise probably feel a little bit like that. You know, they're kind of ripping through the galaxy, but they have this really tight knit camaraderie. And, uh, you know, you have your leader that you're all following fearlessly. And, uh, you know, when you're done, you sit down, you have a pint, you talk about what you did for the day. And, uh, it all, it all came together pretty easily. Some other musical projects are a little bit more of a slog to get off the ground, but this one kind of came together pretty quick. And, uh, and basically said, well, if the first two were this easy, I bet you the next 10 will be just as easy. So might as well go all in. Glad you guys did. It's a great album. Thank you. Uh, and I recommend people check it out. Sick Bay, it's called. And also the EP uh, Engage, which has uh, Make It So on there, mm-hmm. which is very much like a West Coast, uh, like kind of like surf rock from the 50s, I would kind of equate it to, which is my cup of tea. I love, love that era. Absolutely adore it. So what kind of music then did you guys grow up listening to? What inspires you guys? So we, we have very varied backgrounds, and you can tell if you listen to the record that we do like a lot of different genres. We don't like to be beholden. And in fact, a lot of the bands we like kind of switch up a lot and make a lot of changes. Um, 
you know, we're we like all the classics, the Beatles and oh, yeah. uh, Pink Floyd. Evident. And I, <laughs> Very evident. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And 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 Bowie and Steely Dan and Talking Heads, you can hear all those influences, I'm sure, in the songs. Mm-hmm. But you know, the truth is we were just great at music appreciators and Tom brings uh, I'm sure he can mention some of his influences in there too, but we've just been sitting around at bars talking about music and listening to music and uh, talking about track lists and alternate track lists for our entire lives. So the, the list really goes on, but sure. uh, drawing a lot of inspiration, particularly from people who I think are more on the, a little more on the in- uh, experimental side, whether it's, whether it's like Bowie with how he arranges things or even the Beatles with relatively experimental how they were or even modern bands like say ween or you know they might be giants was a big band for me when i was younger for right, instance yes so some of the weirdness thrown in too yeah definitely i uh, my parents listened to just absolute dog shit music it was terrible it was like <laughs> you know uh like irish traditional music and like really shitty off-broadway uh musicals stuff like that so i wow. you know i basically but like one of my very good friends growing up, um, actually one of the guys that I was in a band with for a very long time, his dad was a lounge singer and he would drive up to um, Atlantic City and play piano in like piano bars up there. And so he was really into music. And I remember him sitting, me and my friend Adam down at one point, putting on Frank Zappa's apostrophe and just being like, you have to listen to this. You're like the perfect age. You're going to like yellow snow, but like everything else, you're, you're really going to dig it. And like that kind of stuff sort of just blew my mind and like opened up this sort of, um, world where music didn't have to be super serious and about love and heartache and all these really like deep things it just was fun and enjoyable and something that you could pop on and have a you know a really great time listening to it it's also deep and good music but uh, you don't have to have every single thing be about some girl that broke your heart or something like that and thank god and uh jesus yeah absolutely yeah and like Rob mentioned, uh, you know, he actually got me into They Might Be Giants, but they're they're one of those bands that I just love the playfulness of it. I love how, um, you know, you can pop on a They Might Be Giants song and it's about fucking James K. Polk. And you're like, yeah, it's yeah. a great song. It's really well written and, uh, you know, it's actually quite informative. And uh, you don't have to, you know, feel like you want to slit your wrist when you're done with it. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, I think it's funny that you mentioned uh, your parents' bad musical taste, but and yet Irish folk music and Irish drinking songs have been a part of a lot of our. Uh, we we did we did inherit some of that, whether you like it or not. You know, there's a, there's a drama <laughs> to it, and there's a there's a drinking song aspect to it. You know, that's what yeah, maybe the, great. the drinking song didn't speak to ten year old me, I guess. You know? <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what makes uh, you know listening to Sick Bay like so much fun because it doesn't settle itself within a genre. It goes from, you know, like the song Holodeck 4, which kind of has like a like a 70s, like 70s porn yeah, meets like Barry White kind of a thing going. <laughs> and then there's like, you know, the jazz song, you know, these crewmates of mine, like that was so cool. And then, you know, Four Lights, there's like a whole uh, Floyd thing happening there, kind of mm-hmm. meets Smashing Pumpkins. Like it just, it's all in and, uh, and over the place. And that's what's so great about it. You know, no matter what kind of mood you're in. Um, you know, I think of the Smashing Pumpkins like Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness kind of had that same kind of a formula where, you know, you had slow songs, you had, you know, uh, kind of corny songs and you'd have like balls to the wall, like metal songs. Like it was just all over the place. So no matter what mood you're in, there's something there for you. And that's that's what I think the making of a great album. I think my, you know, my I had uh, going through each song 
just yeah. hearing the different music style, and I was like, oh yeah, because this is anything's like up for grabs. Yeah. Like anything yep. could happen at this point. Yeah, I didn't know I was in the mood for this type of music right now, but I am. Yeah. <laughs> Funny you mentioned that Smashing Pumpkins was like my touchstone band in the '90s. I had the gigantic ball-sized poster of Siamese Dream, and you know, I um. I went to see them a bunch, I think when I was like 16 and I just got like my driver's license and I was like, the first thing I did, I drove up to Philadelphia and saw them at the Spectrum play a show. Awesome. Super, yeah. Yeah. It was really great. That would be cool. I've seen, yeah, I'm a huge Pumpkins fan myself and, um, I didn't get to see them in their original run, but I've seen Billy several times and, uh, the, probably the, the best, uh, I got to see them on the reunion, and I use air quotes, kind of reunion uh, <laughs> tour they did here within the past, like, three to four years. And um, that was the first time it seemed like Billy Corgan really kind of pulled his head out of his ass and accommodated to the fans instead of just playing for himself every time he got on stage, you know? Yeah. But to divert myself from going on a rant, that's just going to piss me off. <laughs> I mean... You do talk about those influences, though. Yeah, like again, '90s. I think '90s was a time when we were in high school, and there was a real throwback to the '70s happening there. So yeah. we kind of grew up half on our parents' classic rock, and half on that '90s, which was sort of a revival of that. Whether it was Smashing Pumpkins or Weezer or Pearl Jam or you know the various other things that were happening. Agreed. Yeah, I joke that uh, I was in a dad band in high school because basically the band that I was in, like the first song that we played for like our high school talent show we did sunshine of your love and we would do like you know guess who songs and like hendrix songs and basically all of it was just like 70s rock at like you know county fair type of stuff that we were playing and i look back i'm like oh, i was totally in a dad band when i was like 15 years old <laughs> me and my friends were the exact same way we we used to uh just play tom petty like when we were like in junior high and like at the time you know tom petty now it's like Everybody knows and loves Tom Petty, but mm -hmm. at the time, you know, like, you're listening to Tom Petty. Why aren't you listening to Matchbox 20 or Bare Naked Ladies, <laughs> asshole? Like, like, <laughs> but that's how the times change, isn't it? You know, yeah. why are you listening to the fossil stuff? Like, listen to something more contemporary, like Chumbawamba. Good music back then, <laughs> but it meant something. Yeah, exactly, right? We knew good shit when we saw it. That's what it was. <laughs> So, you know, having a band themed around Star Trek, how long has this band been uh, established? How long have you guys been playing? Uh, we actually started back in 2015. That's when we wrote the first songs. Okay. I want to say it was 2015, right, Tom? So it was a little bit of a long gestating uh, project. We put the EP out in 2015 and kind of let it lie for a while. I had actually moved away for a little bit and you know, just various life things, but we always kind of kept talking about it. We knew we liked it. We loved like the, the group we were with. And like Tom said, kind of how easy it was to write about and it still just made us laugh. So we sort of ended up when I came back to San Francisco, it ended up, uh, we revisited it. Yeah. And I had a couple of kids, which, you know, does not help with uh, getting out of the house and playing music a lot. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> we, we finally got that uh, sort of regular practice schedule back because once it's on, once it's on the calendar, you don't have to argue about it every week. It's just like, oh, it's Thursday night, it's the night I go play. But you have that one big argument about getting about getting Thursday night on the calendar, and then once that's there, you're just golden for the next couple of years. And that really was what kind of uh, drove us to be able to make uh, a full album. We, that was always kind of our goal. I, I love having physical media. And sure. something that, you know, I want 25 years from now to be able to just pop on a record and be like, that's me. Yeah, look, your dad wasn't a total loser all the time. He's kind of cool sometimes, you know? Yeah. What are you singing about Star Trek? Still... <laughs> yeah, okay, fair enough. Come on. 
<laughs> Not a but, loser here you know, at Cando, no, though. No, no. As, as Tom kind of mentioned, though, we would, we've been writing other kinds of songs throughout the, those years, too. And we've even done some other recordings. And we just we like the process of sure. writing songs that, that kind of uh, that pique our interest and then going into the studio and recording them. And so we've had some of these other writing prompts, even. They haven't gotten quite as... Uh, they haven't flourished quite as much as the Beverly Crushers, but you know, we got some other recordings out there, some other pop culture that we decided to write about. Let's say, I would almost guarantee there's some Simpson songs floating out there somewhere. No, sadly not no. yet. Sadly yeah. not yet. <laughs> yeah, I think that's one of those ones where uh, you know you don't tackle that beast until you're ready to go all in on it. You know, yeah. you have to uh, <laughs> you have to really commit to that. Well, not to sound like a generic asshole who's trying to throw a pun out, but make it so. (laughs) (laughs) Please. I think one of the challenges there is that Simpsons had so many songs in it. And that's one of the reasons I think we were drawn to it, too. It's so musical at its core. Like, they they wrote great songs and put them in the show. They absolutely did. Um, One song that comes to mind, I don't know if you guys are fans of the Bloodhound Gang or not, but on their album... Hefty Fine, they did a song called Ralph Wiggum that was just nothing but Ralph Wiggum quotes from the show, just rearranged to rhyme and uh, go with the melody. It was fantastic. You should check it out if you've never heard it. It's great. It's got to be some work. That is pretty genius. It, I can't imagine. I would never take on that task. Jeez. So hats off to the Bloodhound Gang, I suppose. Yeah, I'd say our, our goal is really just to just keep writing what. I think a lot of people would consider weird music and uh, that's really, you know, that's what gets me going. You know, like Rob alluded to, we, we recorded, uh, but didn't release a bunch of songs about Ghostbusters. Um, We, for like a friend's bachelor party, we went and uh, just recorded a bunch of like weird songs about like pizza parties and shit like that for, you know, just for a weekend for fun. I'm currently working on a uh, a metal project uh, where it's a bunch of songs about Arby's. Um, some big fan of Arby's. <laughs> Tom is understating his love for Arby's here. Tom is obsessed with Arby's. I get his yeah. love for Arby's. It's fucking fantastic. Mm-hmm. You mix some of that horsey sauce with that uh, Arby sauce. sauce yeah. Oh my god, you're in heaven. Especially with those curly. Oh hell yes. yeah. Oh my god, I might have to go get some Arby's now. <laughs> That's Thanks. exactly what I'm thinking too. Yeah. That the bummer is that there's no Arby's uh, within like a 30 minute drive of me, so I have to like make a special trip to go out and get some Arby's. I hate to rub it in your face, Tom, but I got one a block away. Oh, fuck you! <laughs> I'll think of you as I'm chewing on roast beef later. But uh, I, I kid, I kid. Um, so let's talk about some of the other members of this band uh, and like, what are you guys' exact roles in the band? Like, I know you said that, uh, Tom was playing bass and, uh, Rob, you play guitar. Uh, like, are either of you guys the singers or second, uh, another person for that? Yeah, we sort of divide singing duties. So usually, uh, we both are writing, writing songs and have been the lead singer on some of the songs. So it's kind of divided up throughout the album. Okay. And, uh, and then both do sing a lot of the backups. So, and yeah, traditionally, if you write the song, you end up as the lead singer on the song. Got it. So I think either Tom or I are the lead singer on all but one of the tunes on Sick Bay. Very Beatles approach yeah. there. I love that. And we have um, a guy who plays keyboards and trombone for us, Scott, Scott Okamoto, who is, uh, he is by far the best musician in the band. Um, he is a really good piano player, really good trombone player. And 
and he's also a gigantic Star Trek fan, uh, much even much more so than even the two of us are. And so <laughs> when we found a guy who played trombone who was who wanted to be in a Star Trek fan, we're like, well, I mean, come on, this yeah, you have to be satellite down the front of yourself. Like you'd be stupid yeah. to say no. Well, yeah. he. No, he picked up, the story goes that he picked up trombone because of Riker. I was just going to so, ask you that, yeah, if Jonathan Frakes was his inspiration. Seriously. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, yeah, awesome. I think he's been playing piano since he was a little kid, but then when he's about our age too, when Next Gen came on, he saw the trombone. He's like, oh, that's what I want to do. And then, so we kind of knew, we knew him, you know, mutual friends, and when we were putting this project together, we were like, clearly, this guy needs to be in this band, and he accepted <laughs> immediately. That's incredible. That's incredible. I was going to ask you guys about the the brass I was hearing on the album, if it was either synthesized or actually real, and that's amazing to hear. I love that. I love that. So uh, who else is in the band? How many uh, total members are there? So it's it's basically four uh, guys, uh, myself and Tom, uh, Scott, who, like I said, covers keyboards and the horns. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he played trumpet on at least one of the tracks as well. And then a drummer whose name is Joe. And uh, that's kind of the core. We did do a recording session with another guitar player uh, some years back who's a friend of ours who's on a couple of the tracks and his voice is on a couple of the tracks. But yeah, I'd say the core is, is four of us. I would, I would love to have the yeah. whole band on, but then you just get a, like a group full of people yeah, talking like, over each other and it just, it just doesn't work all the time, does it? But, we wouldn't get a word in. They'd just be sitting there <laughs> bullshitting with each other. Well, it'd make our job easy, shit. <laughs> but all right. So I want to talk to you guys uh, then about some of the songs that, uh, I guess, the standout songs off the albums. Uh, the first, I guess I've mentioned all these songs. They've been mentioned uh, in our conversation thus far, but just spending a little more time with them and, I guess why you chose the approach to it. Uh, first, with uh, Make It So off the Engage EP. Again, you know, the very like 1950s, 60s West Coast surf rock kind of a sound. I'd say kind of what comparable to like uh, Beach Boys. I really thought of like uh, the wonders from that Tom Hanks yes. movie. The yeah. thing that thing you do is like really what it was harking on, which is Bravo, one of my favorite films. <laughs> but what was it uh, that made you want to mix that sound? Like, how did that song come together? Yeah, I'll jump in on that. Well, I think working with Tom all these years, the thing we we absolutely know is going to be on every song is vocal harmony. We really like oh, yeah. to harmonize, and that's what we like in our music, whether it's the Beatles or the Beach Boys or, you know, any of the above. So I don't, I don't know if we really take a super directed approach to what the – end product of the song is going to turn out as, but we love pop music. I, I think that's clear. And we knew, you know, we want to harmonize and we love that. So I think, uh, I really like, I think there's a weird revisionist history around say like the early Beatles era of pop music, if you will, which I think the, uh, that thing you do is kind of hearkening back to. Sure. I think that stuff is great. I think you're not going to find a better pop song than can't buy me love. They pack a lot yeah, into a few yeah. minutes. So, the idea of creating a little bit of a, a t- relatively tight song, I don't know, I think it's a three-minute song or maybe less than three minutes, that has a few different parts to it and that has, uh, you know, that kind of repeatable catchiness. That's, you know, that's sort of just the genesis of the song is to try to make it catchy. I don't think either of us want to be, like, overly avant-garde despite our high-concept album that we're talking about right now. So. <laughs> Tom, what do you remember from those sessions? 
Um, you know, I remember uh, working with Rob for a long time. He, the songs that he writes are, they come kind of in like a, just a very stripped down guitar and melody form. And like, they could go in a lot of different directions. Like you could have turned that kind of into a punk song if you wanted to. Um, you could have done something a little bit more doo-wop style, but uh, it just happened to work out that we had this kind of, like melody to go over top of the guitar and i think that that kind of helped define a lot of the way that the the feel was going to go and we wanted to work in the most iconic line from the uh from the show in our opinion make it so which i think is like um you know, we talk a lot about uh, the sort of leadership style in Star Trek and like how fantastic Picard's leadership style is just generally. And that concept of like, uh, I've always loved Make It So because it's basically saying like, I trust you to make this thing happen and I'm going to sort of put it into your into your hands and I'm going to, you know, we're going to walk away. You're going to go ahead. You're going to go ahead and make it so. You're going to go ahead and do it. And so, you know, the uh, I think the overall concept of using that hook was really great but then trying to get that that relationship angle in there of the sort of longing for a father figure of wesley in there i think was uh you know when it really kind of went to the next level from just like oh we got this cool hook of make it so to like okay how can we actually wrap that into something that is elevates it a little bit more and makes it not just like oh i'm just abusing this line because it's something you already know but turn it into a um you know like you said put another layer on top of it yeah I love that. That's amazing. Now, another one that you guys have uh, touched on already, I think I mentioned uh, myself as well, was the Irish slash Romulan drinking song, A Stool in Tin Forward. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess some of, through th- some of your explanations, we've heard how this has come through. Uh, Tom, you said in, in your uh, background, what was it, you, your folks uh, listen to a lot of Irish music. Is, is that pretty much the sole explanation to this song or is there any more? You know, in all honesty, I never had even considered that that uh, early period of music exposure, which I try to block out for most of my life, had that much of an influence on it. I wanted like a sea chanty, basically. Like I, you know, I picture them as basically the modern, you know, the modern sailors, and so I wanted some kind of sea chanty. And uh, I've always liked the character of O'Brien. He's got that really. Um, kind of isolated job you just mm-hmm. like they just walk into the transporter room and he's just standing there i'm like how fucking long have you been standing there you just like <laughs> sitting at that console for like the last seven hours doing nothing like and then you know he does 30 seconds worth of shit and then he's you know he's back to being alone at the end of that he's gotta be pretty fucking depressed he doesn't have a great relationship with his wife he's definitely going to the bar and then you're like oh 10 forward is just a fucking bar that all these people on this ship are going to to sort of you know forget about their troubles but yeah. then also, you know, as they sort of go through the song, they're uh, getting a little bit more sauce, and then they're all linking arms and singing about how they got their <laughs> captains back and everything. Well, I got me a lady, she's balling at me. Oh, she's sending her flat, so she's balling at me. You know where to find me when she starts to wail. On a school in It's a great song, and it still makes me laugh that Tom wrote this line um, about a way he weighs lots of teams. That just, for some reason, that really that really gets me even now. But 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 to Tom's point, I think we did go through a period in an earlier band where we got into this like sing along. It, it's partly coming from this idea of traveling with a band in a van and having an acoustic guitar getting passed around, and people mm-hmm. are trying to yeah, you're trying to stave off boredom and or 
whatever and trying to get people to sing along and and there was a point where we were doing with an earlier band we were doing um a clancy brothers song like all for me grog which is just about drinking or i think the wild rover we did one time at least tom and then so like we do have a little bit of a history with this kind of sing-along kind of thing oh we wrote a we wrote a tribute song to our hometown too that kind of has a little bit of that vibe but basically when you write a song in three four and uh <laughs> And, you know, you join arms and clink uh, beer glasses while you're singing it. You know, you get the you get that vibe. I hope it comes through on the recording that um, when we did the group vocal, we were all completely shit-faced at the time. <laughs> you can hear people messing up the, lo- the lyrics and shit in the background. It was uh, it was one of the last things we did at, like, 1 o'clock in the morning of that recording session. And so, uh, you know, we wanted to be authentic. I was going to say, it gives it that authentic feel to it. Yeah. Right. And and you can you can hear that. And exactly, like you both have already <laughs> said, that's how exa- it doesn't sound fake. It sounds like you're drinking with the yeah. mates, you yep. know, when you're hearing it. And yeah, I, I, I was drinking beer with my friend while we had that playing <laughs> at that party. I was talking <laughs> to you about you guys uh, earlier. But have you guys seen that show, uh, The Lower Decks? Oh, yeah, totally. That yeah. I can totally see because what, like 50 percent of that show, they're in the bar pretty much doing I, I could totally see them throwing that song into that show i've never seen it i don't even know what it's, it is it takes place on the lower decks of the ship it's pretty much everything that happens that's not on the bridge it's so, like, so it's like not it's like a bunch of red shirts down there kind exactly of stuff. yeah okay and they're most of the time they're on the bar just relaxing or talking or i see but yeah that, that's all pretty much that's all it made me think of that whole time that does sound cool where is that well, just online or uh it's on cbs all access so you gotta have the Oh, really? A free trial, at least, to be able to watch it all. Drats. That's not going <laughs> to happen. All right. Anyway. But, okay. Moving on to uh, Holodeck 4. How did this song come to be? It's the best line from the entire series. You know, so, uh, you know, the Famp Jansen comes on as the perfect mate, gets Riker all spun up that, uh, you know, she's meant for somebody else. But, uh, you know, she like imprints on whoever she's with and she tries to become like a perfect woman for him and he's getting all hot and bothered and he leaves her room and he hits his, hits his communicator and it's like, if anybody needs me, I'll be in Holodeck 4. And you know exactly what he's going to Holodeck 4 to do, right? He's not going there to listen to fucking classical music. So uh, it seemed like, uh, you know, and then, you know, Riker is the sort of sex bomb who's always been kind of the... Uh, the underlying uh, theme of that of his sort of character arc, like he's just a ladies' man, mm-hmm. and so we figured it was uh, you know if you're going to write a song that sounds like it's out of seventies porn, you might as well put it to Riker talking about how uh, listen uh, you know we're a little spun up. I'm going to be in Holodeck Four if you want to come and join me. I think you know what's going on. <laughs> I feel like that was like an inside joke for our friends for a very long time that we would bandy about that that was the one time that we could find in Next Generation where they really acknowledge what the holodeck would really be used for. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a damn catchy song. I can't tell you how many times I've uh, listened to that one. Does that make me uh, sleazy at all? Just because that's one of my faves? Absolutely. Does it? Okay, cool. (laughs) I'm a sleaze hound. All right, uh, these crewmates of mind, another you know completely uh, 
just different genre, I guess, from everything else. Very jazzy, upbeat. Makes me think of like uh, like Richard Cheese kind of music. Uh, how did this come to be? I'll let Tom jump in here. He wrote the song. Yeah, you know, I was um, going through a period of going to a lot of estate sales and buying old records from people. Um, you know, somebody dies and they got a bunch of old like Johnny Mathis records and stuff like that. Right. You know, buy them for a buck a piece and. So I ended up listening to a whole lot of that stuff. And um, frankly, I wanted to buy an upright bass and I needed a good excuse to buy an upright bass. And I said, hey, if I write a song that would need an upright bass to uh, on the recording, I could maybe pitch this to my wife as a good reason for me to buy you an upright. You are clever. You are clever. It's a second great idea you've had now. <laughs> Get, <getting up. laughs> I'm just hoping my wife doesn't listen to this podcast. No. <laughs> Home with my knife in your back. I always liked that uh, that episode a lot, and uh, wanted to do something from the standpoint of the Norsekins. Just that, to, like you know, it basically started from the like no Gromba human line, and it's like you know, you'd be able to work that in somewhere, and then. Uh, this concept of like I, originally I'd written a lot more where it was like going to be like a Sharks versus Jets things where you had two different singers for the Starfleet guys and for the Norsekins and everything like that but uh, uh, ended up paring it down to just sort of the Norsekin point of view and uh, uh, I wanted it to sort of play against type for them right because they're these like you know, you write a metal song about those guys or something that's a little bit more like hardcore, but, you know, you write something that's a little kind of easygoing about them and that, you know, you kind of don't even realize who you're talking about until you get a little farther on in the song. You're like, oh, shit, okay. You're actually talking about these gigantic, you know, monstrous beings that are going to stab you in the back. <laughs> this is great. I, I love this album. I, again, I can't recommend people uh, enough to listen to it. Um, one more song I need to touch on, uh, unless Jack, you have any other songs you want to mention or anything you want to add quick. When the Walls Fell. That was the first song I ever heard from you guys, and that's like the iconic episode of Star Trek. And then it just kind of, you guys, it sold me on that one. And there's every time my wife will watch like the whole run of the series every once in a while, and I get caught on that episode every time. And I don't know. There's it's something I need to educate myself. You got to see that one. It makes like a lot of no sense, I guess. I don't know. It's, it's a bunch <laughs> of gibberish, it's, but I don't know. It's a, it's a pretty strong episode. Hmm. And it's what's a, the name of it again? The, when the walls fell, when the walls fell. Yeah. Okay. Like if you listen to the lyrics, you won't know what the hell's going on unless you saw the episode, then you know what's going on. Well, see, that's just, uh, it goes back to my <laughs> point at the very top of this is like, you don't have to be a Trekkie to enjoy this. So I've heard the song without having a fucking clue oh, yeah. as to what they're talking about. But at the same time, like, damn, this is a good song. You it's know great I mean? with that episode too. You can really see who Star Trek fans are. Cause if you say Tanaka, when the walls fell, then if they reply with something, separates like, the boys from the yeah. men, doesn't it? <laughs> You're like, yes, I know you. I know who you are. Yeah. That, I mean, that's definitely an episode. We, the episode's called Darmok. And 
it's a uh, it's one that I'm sure a lot of people have talked about, but we've talked about. So that kind of originated as a concept song, right? But it's the premise is that they're trying to communicate with an alien race, but it's the universal translator basically won't work because the race they eventually figure out speaks only in metaphor and refers to historical events in yeah. their history, basically, for meaning, you know, and it's hard for them to figure that out. And Picard eventually figures it out. But I think, like, vibe-wise, that's definitely a, a Talking Heads jam. I, I, I was really, I've always been really interested in songs that are kind of trance-like in a way. I, I, I have two poles of my musical interests in a sense. I, I like stuff with a lot of changes, you know, jazz, Steely Dan, stuff like that. And I like stuff that almost doesn't change at all. So I kind of feel like I got away with penning a song that really doesn't have any chord changes in it. It's kind of exciting <laughs> for me. <laughs> Hopefully still has some drama, you know? Right. And and then it just became a process of constructing it from the the you know made up language from that particular episode uh, to Marion, which was fun on its own. being in a band man. <laughs> I miss <laughs> one more song here to touch on with you guys it's got to be my favorite and I you know harking back to being a huge pumpkins fan I guess this is where when you guys said you were uh, you know Pink Floyd inspired you we were like well no shit because <laughs> Four Lights uh, I think has you know a Floyd kind of like an airy like uh, what's the word I'm looking for with the pumpkins in the 90s kind of like that uh, airy dreamscape kind of a rock thing happening mm-hmm. on top of it and um, damn it's just so good to listen to I can't I have Oh my god, I can't tell you how many times I've listened to that song Bravo guys So, um, Can you tell us about that song? Yeah, definitely um, I, I'm really I'm really happy with that song too And I think in a way that The recording of that song and how well we all felt It came out and it kind of represented us Just live playing as a band Which is what that take was Made us want to continue the band you know, Beyond those sessions, which was really cool Yeah, But um and I was using the Rat Proco guitar pedal, which I'm, I'm pretty confident James Eha had in his uh, in his rig. Oh shit, son! <laughs> Speaking my language. <laughs> but uh, you know, like writing-wise, it came from this idea. That one of the things I think is the is the trippiest on Next Gen or in the Star Trek world is like uh, all, all the weird stuff that happens to them, basically. So it's it's about Picard's kind of journey through several episodes of some of the stranger time jump kind of situations that he's been in whether it was um oh and and sort of the whole shell of the thing is him getting uh, tortured by the cardassians that's the four lights reference from chains of command and while he's getting you know while he's kind of under the knife there he's he's sort of zoning out and uh dreaming all this other stuff that's happened to him and so it was a chance to just reference these other episodes from the series that i always thought were really strange like the one where the inner light where he goes and lives that whole other life even though he's only he's like out of, he's out of he's unconscious on the enterprise for an hour but he lives 50 years on some planet and has grandkids and learns to play the flute 
and you know that he comes to in the enterprise and they're just like all right well back to work tomorrow right you know like back to, back to the job <laughs> stuff like that so it, you know i think it was a cool opportunity to just like reference some of the stranger events um i touch on in the lyrics touch on like tapestry which is the one where q sends picard back he gets stabbed in the heart by the aforementioned norskins and has a chance to rewrite history or not you know stuff like that but but ultimately yeah we wanted to write a trippy song and i thought those are some of the trippier experiences happening in the next gen world is when they kind of get thrown for a loop or thrown into some weird repeating situation and they seem to just roll with it which i've always been impressed by Absolutely love it. It, it. I mean, it chills you out. It almost makes me want to roll a joint. It really does. Like I, <laughs> I adore, I adore it. And it's just a great album from front to back. Um, again, I can't recommend to everyone enough. Check out the Beverly Crushers. And if you'd like to get a free copy of the album, just go to our Instagram and give us a follow if you're not already following us and DM us saying, hey, I want the Sick Bay album. We've got three codes to download the album for free and the first three people who come for them get them. So yeah, again, follow us on Instagram if you don't already and then just send us a DM saying, hey, I want the Sick Bay album, and if you're one of the first three, we'll shoot you that code. There's also an EP up there, Engage, and I know that you gentlemen are on uh, Instagram. Is it at the Beverly Crushers, or is it just at Beverly Crushers? Jeez, what is it, Tom? I can't remember now. I don't have Instagram, dude. I don't do anything. <laughs> Hang on, my ho- my phone is handy. I'll pull it up here. I just had you. Guys wait, wait. Here. Since I, Jeremy, I'd be remiss if I did not tell you about the the greatest Easter egg we feel like we buried on this, which is in the Four Lights recording. So okay, for any any true track, but not that you asked, but I feel I must share. Oh, I, I gotta know. I love the song. I've got to know is, everything about it. Well, if you recall, the premise of when Picard is being tortured, the four lights line, the premise is that, like in 1984, the torturer is trying to get Picard to admit that there's a different number than what are really there. Picard is not going to break. He's not going to give it up, right? right? So at the very end of the song, we come back for the there are four lights part. And sorry, the guy, the Cardassian is trying to get him to say there's five lights. So at the very end of the song, we put a five-part harmony in there. Yes, I love that. <laughs> We worked on that one for a long time. Like, how can we fit a fifth part in here? We should ha- absolutely have to have a fifth part. There's no way we can so, have I, Yeah, part. I'd love that. I would have <laughs> never put that together, obviously. But I love that part of the song. I mean, in talking about a place where you guys get to exercise that uh, ability to harmonize, is that the two of you doing all those layers there? No, that was all five guys at the session. So that was wow. myself, Tom, Scott, Joe the drummer and Igor who was with us on that first session as a guitar player and sometimes vocalist. I think it's all five of us. That is yep. incredible. 
I just want to go listen now. I, as soon as we're off of here, I'm going to be turning <laughs> it over. Listen to it on the way home again. Yeah. And I'm not kissing your ass. I absolutely nope. mean that. I absolutely mean that. And I was actually trying to look up the Beverly Crushers, but then I got too hooked on that Easter egg. That was a the name, the Beverly Crushers. Did that have any kind of Big Bang Theory reference that helped that along? No, honestly. No, okay. uh... <laughs> I had, a, I had a dream where I was said that if I was a DJ, I was going to call myself Dr. Crusher. I thought that'd be a pretty good DJ name, but then I was like, oh, we're never going to be a DJ. And then we decided we were, we were calling ourselves Dr. Crusher would have been a little bit too, like, uh, you know, metally. And so we decided we want to, to tone it down a little bit. So we came up with the Beverly Crushers because, and apparently now there's a band called Beverly Crusher as well. So we were the Beverly Crushers, but uh, we wanted to, uh, you know, give homage to, uh, Definitely the best doctor on the show. Yeah, uh, we certainly aren't going to call ourselves the Captain Pulaski anytime soon. <laughs> I think Tom came up with the name as he mentioned, but it, it resonated with me too because I actually I had a bigger crush on Crusher as a kid than I did on Troy. I know Troy was supposed to be the eye candy, but I like mm -hmm. Crusher better even then. So they were both cute, but I mean Troy was just easy because I mean you didn't have to really it's use your outfit. imagination yeah. did you know yeah. <laughs> it was all there in purple for you to take in and uh, I did double check you guys are on uh, Instagram at the Beverly Crushers one thing I did forget to ask have you guys ever gotten any attention from uh, the cast crew producers anybody from the show uh, with the concept of your band we did manage to get Gates to retweet us a couple times so that was nice, nice. I don't know if she's actually listened to the material or not, but she gave it a half endorsement at least. So it's not really cool. <laughs> well, we'll be tagging her in this uh, episode, that's for sure. As far you know, outside from Instagram, I know you guys have a Bandcamp page. Is there anywhere else you guys uh, we should be directing people? Yeah, the Bandcamp site is is the main place where we have all the merch. We've made some other Star Trek related merch, and uh, we'll continue publishing stuff there. Uh, we have a Facebook page um, that's you know usually meant to direct people over there, but we're doing stuff there, and you know we're compiling more songs now. Tom and I are still writing, and I think we got about half a record written. Probably we got to go in and arrange it and start recording it, but we're looking to keep releasing uh, music. So that's awesome. exciting. I'm excited, yep. definitely excited. Well, gentlemen, I want to thank you both so much for taking time to be here. This has been an absolute fucking treat and please uh just let us know when there are new projects uh coming down the pike please keep us in the loop please keep yep. us in the loop gentlemen thank you guys so much for being here and jack what do we have on the website sir go to candarepodcast.com where you see show highlights guest info listen to the show follow us on all our social media become a patron buy some merch see some of the youtube videos on our youtube page and if you'd like to be a guest and promote your work <laughs> send us an email on our contacts page and don't forget to find us on Twitter at CandarePod and Instagram, Canned underscore Air. And that website Jack just mentioned, CandarePodcast.com, uh, has links to our Patreon page and our merch page. So what more do you need? All in one nice little package. And I think that's going to do it that's for this it. week. People, check out this band, the Beverly Crushers, the album Sick Bay. We're going to have links for it up uh, on our website and on this episode. So please check it out. You won't regret it. And until next time, I am Jeremy Colley. I'm Jack Doherty. I'm Rob Cassis. And I'm Tom Monahan. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. And always remember to be excellent to each other.
a dog. Hi, puppy. Nice puppy. Oh, no. Don't run. It'll only make things worse. Mutt. Remember, you never want to approach a stray dog, especially one that's foaming at the mouth. Get away from the animal as quickly as you can and tell a grown-up. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. This has been a Canned Air production. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.